And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookerin, a podcast all about Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. And we're here again. We are here again. Watford are after a new head coach, uh, after letting go of Cisco Munoz uh, this morning on Sunday morning. My name is John and I'm joined by uh, Dave. Hello. uh, And Michael. Hello, John. Hello, Dave. How are you feeling there about this, Dave, at the moment? This this exit, this thing that, you know, the other day you were discussing and it was almost like, Maybe now isn't the time. We're not going to get the bounce that we thought. How are you feeling though? And at this point on a Sunday evening, mad, isn't it? That familiar feeling. Here we are again, and it's funny because you go through the same kind of mental backflips each time. Kind of convince yourself that oh, maybe it's not the right time to do it. Maybe we should stick with him. Maybe they won't do it. You know, we were talking on the pod on Thursday with me, Mike, and Adam, and we were kind of saying, oh, probably we kind of all knew, didn't we, that if it was a bad performance and a loss that he would go, but we were sort of going, oh, maybe they won't. Maybe it's not Maybe it's not the right thing to do. But you see that performance yesterday. I haven't actually seen the highlights yet, but I've spoken to many people who are at the game, and I know obviously Colin's on this pod talking about the, the performance, and it sounded absolutely horrendous. Again, it does sort of feel like it's the right thing to do and we can talk about the bigger picture what it means you know more broadly for Watford in terms of their outlook and whether it's the right approach that we have but in terms of the actual decision to get rid of Cisco the performances haven't been very good have they and I think once again we all you know despite the criticism that that is coming for us from all from all corners we kind of feel that it is the right decision I think right yeah, well, you've been sort of doing that today, haven't you? Like sticking up for the Watford fans on various different uh, outlets. Five Live particularly gave you a call and you were on there. How are you feeling there about it? Was, was there any front that you were putting on just because you were speaking to the, the outside Watford bubble world? Or how are you feeling there this evening? I'm feeling sad. I feel sad on a, on a human level because um, someone who's evidently a nice bloke has, has lost his job. I feel sad for the club that we find ourselves in this situation again because obviously by default it means if the head coach has departed it means things aren't going well and I think overall I feel probably a little bit despondent that we're we're still in this cycle we're still in this situation where head coaches aren't lasting very long at all and you know, I'm finding it quite difficult to sort of to to wrap my head around it really as as Dave mentioned we kind of we we do defend Watford, and I think there's the, the, that's the right thing to do because, as I said on the radio earlier, you look at, at, at the body of work that Gino have done since they since they took Watford over. We've spent a lot of time in the Premier League. A lot of good things have happened, and often they've got things right, haven't they? But this one feels quite tough. I think yeah. it's it's absolutely the right decision. I think you, everyone was left in no doubt as to my feelings uh, as to the performance uh, against Newcastle. I thought it was clueless. 
I thought it was abject. I thought it was the worst performance of the season. Unfortunately for Cisco, unfortunately for everyone that travelled to Leeds yesterday, and, and unfortunately for anyone associated with Watford, it was even worse yesterday, by all accounts. Let's hear about that, because I swear to Colin Owen today, Colin went up to Ellen Road. <laughs> Let's see how he, how did he feel going up to Leeds? Did he think this was going to be Cisco's final game in charge? Well, I wasn't really thinking like that, John, really. I wasn't really thinking that way. I thought, having recovered in the second half against Newcastle, there was a possibility that we might improve on that second half and go up there and, and maybe put in a decent performance so I went up to Leeds on the train with Lily yesterday and I wasn't feeling doom and gloom. I thought there's a chance here. What we did know was that Leeds were going to come out and sort of do what Leeds do, which is press you and try to uh, sort of overwhelm you. And I knew that if we could just hang on for maybe 20, 25 minutes, they would slightly go backwards, which is in fact what happened. But by then they had in fact scored. So uh, I was sort of thinking, but then... I mean, John, it was a car crash. It was a car crash of a performance. For you, Colin, you did say you said also when we played Wolves, you said how bad Wolves were and they won. What did you think of Leeds? Well, to be honest with you, you could see why they were on a bad run because every time they got anywhere near the goal, they blasted it miles over the crossbar. The goal came from a set piece, which is incredibly disappointing again. It was a really good corner, though, in, in terms of creating havoc. So what, what they did, Leeds players all stand on the goal line with the Watford players. And then when the chap hits his left-footed in-swinging corner from right in front of us. They all step out and the ball goes into that incredibly difficult danger area. Foster didn't really have time to properly set himself, so he didn't get to it. It, it, it bounced down on the ground and once it, was the, you know, once it was in that situation, the guy just has to sort of flick his foot at it and in it goes. And so the fact it was a set piece, but that wasn't really the most disappointing thing, John. I don't know why, I don't really know why I'm laughing. Why was it such a bad performance? I mean, where do you start? Firstly, in those first 10 minutes, we continued to try to play out. Every time we tried to do that, we gave the ball away in a dangerous area to a Leeds player. We didn't just give it away. We actually passed it to Leeds players <laughs> on a few occasions or we, we, we got pressed and then someone couldn't hold on to the ball. There was no option for a pass and the ball was given away. It happened over and over again. After 10 minutes, all the people around me that I, you know, that we, I go fairly regularly to away against with, they're all sort of grimacing and thinking, oh my word, you know, we're in for, this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But somehow we survived it. And partly we survived it because of Leeds' inability to hit the target when they were given umpteen opportunities to score and they, and then didn't take them. And eventually they got the, it was a scrappy old goal, really, from a corner, but it was, you know, it, it was well worked. It was there was clearly a plan from Leeds to do something to upset the, the the way you defend at corners, and it worked perfectly, and they scored. After that, to be fair, even though they 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 continued to harry us and get up into the into the last third, I mean, the number of times they were they were shooting and, they, and the ball went miles over, and so you could see why Leeds have had a bad run. You could see that they weren't they weren't clinical. Obviously, no Bamford, uh, which makes a difference, I think. Do you put down their dominance, let's say, of the midfield and attack? Do you put that down to the fact that Watford just weren't a unit? Do you put it down to Watford weren't ready for the harrying and harassing of Leeds? Or do you say, say no, Leeds were just the home team and they play better? Are you, are you putting all on Watford? <laughs> I'm putting most of it on Watford, to be honest with you. I mean, pretty much all of it, in fact. Anyone in particular? Well... I mean, in the light of, of, of the events that have taken place in the last uh, few hours, I think a lot of it has to be hung around the neck of, of the coach. I, I, I made a valiant attempt after the Newcastle game, as you know, John, to make a case for Munoz because I thought there were signs that he was 
getting to grips with the Premier League, particularly in that second half against Newcastle, because we had gone a goal down. And when we went to goal down against Wolves, we kind of fell apart. And then when we went to goal down against Newcastle, we didn't fall apart. We managed to get back into that game by being a bit more attack-minded. And the problem yesterday was that he did know that they were going to do that to us. And his plan to stop them doing it was to sit on our 18-yard line, which is not really the way... That's not the way to, to play against Leeds. But also, it's just not the way to play Premier League football. We were so defence-minded. The gap between Sissoko and uh, Kutska and the front three was miles. I mean, there was no way that, that uh, we could link the play. We couldn't. When we won the ball, there wasn't really anywhere to go with it. And so we just kept losing it. But equally, uh, and just to go back to a couple of changes in the lineup, he, he brought Tufan in. And Tufan's job was clearly to sit in front of Kuska and Sissoko and to link the play between them and the three front men. But they never passed the ball to him. He was quite often in space. He was quite often open and ready to receive the ball on the halfway line with his back to the Leeds goal, but also knowing where Saar, where Dennis, where Joshua King were. And and yet every time we got into those transition situations, they looked up and they hit it over the top, a, a sort of hopeful ball either to King or to Dennis. They didn't get Saar on the ball enough, but they just seemed to bypass Tufan. And in the end, he came off and you thought, well, it's not his fault because the team simply didn't pass it to him. And why didn't they pass it to him? He was so often in a good position in space as an out ball. And we know how comfortable he is on the ball, even from the glimpses we've seen of him. And yet, as soon as we got the ball, there was an element of panic and the ball was just booted up the pitch to see if we could somehow create a counter-attack against him. And it just didn't work. The question there really is, is that the players making bad choices? As in, why aren't you passing to him? Or was that the plan? Well, if you're going to play two fan, the plan has got to be pass the ball. To, he's a creative midfielder. And he was, he was, as I say, our kind of out ball. I think really there was a plan. The plan was to sit deep and soak up pressure and try to hit them on the break. We've seen that against Wolves. We saw it against Newcastle. What happens when you do that? And we've seen it under previous coaches as well. If you do that regularly... You, you can see goals. You can see the first goal in the game. It, it, it happens, you know, it's almost just, it just becomes predictable that we're going to concede and then we're going to have to change the plan and see if we can get back in the game. That happened yesterday. Uh, and there just seemed to be a lot of fear. That's That was really the prevailing feeling watching us play. And by the second half, you know, we could barely pass it three yards to each other. We were passing it out for throw-ins. We were look, they were looking up and they were trying to pass it to each other. And they just, it all fell to pieces. Players who we know are good players, players who've got experience, they were finding it impossible to pass the ball to each other. When you get to that stage, you see players like Saar knocking it out for a, a throw-in and just throwing his arms up in the air and Sissoko passing it straight to a Leeds midfielder. You think, this isn't right. These players are not in the right place. They either don't believe in the plan or they've tried to execute the plan and it hasn't worked and they don't know what to do now. And, and to Leeds' credit, they do press and harry and they do it for 90 minutes. But you've, you know, you've got to work out a way to get around that. And we, just, we were just utterly abject and hopeless. And the players trudged off at the end of that game feeling I mean we all turned around and said well we're you know we're we're in we, we may not be in the bottom three at the moment but if it carries on like this you know we'll be fighting Norwich for the bottom spot <laughs> I know I don't want to I don't want to you know with the manager going and a defeat I don't want to sort of say where the positives tell me what's great about the game but do you still see or do you feel, let's say, not necessarily from that game, out of what we've seen in the first handful of games this season, that whoever, you know, the new, that the new coach will have 
something great to work with where we won't be competing with Norwich for the bottom of bottom place. I thought that the introduction of Soralta was was uh, a positive. I thought he had a good game. He was he was back to something that you could recognise as a performance from him. Although I don't think he ever put in a bad performance. He just scored an own goal, and obviously something something happened there, and I don't know what it was. But he was back in the team, and he's clearly uh, our most sort of dominant centre back. He makes Trooster Kong better as well. And actually, those two didn't didn't play badly. They did their job, which was they only we conceded one goal from a set piece, and and they blocked. I mean, the number of blocks was quite impressive. The number of times Leeds had the ball on the edge of the area in space, and one or other of those two came out and blocked it. And then and then the other positive, I suppose, if you're a coach coming into to, and looking at this squad, is that in the last ten minutes or twenty minutes or whenever it was that that goal went in that was then disallowed. It, that sort of fired us up and suddenly we were trying to get the ball down the sides to Saar and we were and Semmer came on and he was he was he was at it and looking uh positive and we, we we suddenly looked like a team that wanted to attack Leeds whereas for the first 70 minutes we looked like a team that just wanted to defend and when we when we got that energy going we started moving the ball a bit better there's a couple of lovely flick-ons from Dennis a couple of little flick-ons down our left-hand side which Semmer got on the end of and you thought well there's players here you know, there's players here, but they just need direction uh, and they need uh, leadership and they need to be told that it's not OK to sit on your 18-yard line when you're playing a team that hasn't won yet. To get out there and, 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 and show a bit of spirit, play at a higher tempo, believe in themselves a bit more. They know that they're good players. I mean, we can see that they're good players, but yesterday they just completely lost confidence in themselves, in each other, in the match, until that last 10 minutes when they sort of suddenly kind of woke up and started to play the sort of football that we, we, we'd like to see. Now, I don't mind it. I don't mind Watford losing in the Premier League. I expect Watford to lose in the Premier League most of the time. What I found really depressing, it was, a, it was also, it's a hell of a long walk from Elland Road back to the station and there's no chance of getting a bus or anything. It's about a 40 minute walk in the rain and then on the train all the way home. It was just, uh, it, was quite a it was quite a depressing day from that point of view as well, just because of the weather and the, but the, the, the abject performance, the inability to be coherent on a football pitch, players passing to each other, knowing where each other were going to be. The fact that that just wasn't there, it was, we just looked so, you know, it's easy to tell we looked like a championship team. We didn't, we didn't look like a football team at all. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Mike, it, it wasn't a performance. Uh, it wasn't the fact it was a loss. It was the performance. And it seemed to be, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, we, we always find ourselves in these positions fairly regularly. Um, thanks to many tweets that I've been seeing today, how often we um, frequently we change managers. It, it always makes it, whenever someone else tweets it, it always feels like we do it far more often than it feels like for us. You know, they, they, we always have those exits. There's, there's the one where we go, oh, that's a shame. And then there's one where we say, ah, oh, blooming last. And there's other ones we go, oh, you ruthless lot. You know, we talk about Gino and, and Scott. Where is this one for you, do you think? What kind of exit are you feeling? I think this one will probably be tinged with regret all round. I think they at the club, I'd imagine they will regret not doing it in the summer. And that's that's twofold. One, because it would have allowed for a clean break, if you like, and you can sit down with Cisco and his team and say, look, we appreciate the work you've done. You've got us promoted. You've done the job we brought. You've done the job we asked you to do. We appreciate that. We're grateful for it. However, these are the reasons we don't think we want you to, to carry on. And they didn't do that. And they weren't ruthless enough to do that at, at, over the over the summer, which I guess perhaps as Watford supporters, we we agreed with because we, we were cock-a-hoop, weren't we? We were back up. Everyone was smiling, including Cisco. The players were performing for him. 
and it felt like that it was the right thing to do to give him a tilt at the Premier League. But, 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 but we all had those nagging doubts, didn't we, about how he was going to fare tactically. It was a massive step up for the players, massive step up for, for Cisco and his staff. Uh, and ultimately, they've been found wanting more often than not, haven't they, in, in, in the fixtures so far in the, in the Premier League. They took Villa by surprise. They, they, they smashed Norwich worse than us. They, you know, that's an outlier, really, that, that result, because Norwich are as good as Dan already, it would, would seem. All the other games have been poor to, to, to more or less degree, haven't they? But they've been, they've been performances where you can see, and Colin did talk about there, he talked about how the end of the Newcastle game, it, it showed a little of something. And there were lots of littles of something, but not a lot of anything. I, you know, I know, you, I know, Michael, you will see everything is terrible. But, you know, there's that, that thing. But, but for, for, for you, Dave, I know it's, it's Cisco that's gone. Mike's already mentioned the fact that these are players that are fresh to the league as well as him. It could be seen that he has been blamed because he's the one who's lost his job, but we know the players can't lose their jobs as easily. How much do you put on him being who, you know, for what he achieved or not, and what you put on the players? I don't attach too much blame to the players, to be honest with you. They are who they are. I think they've all been trying. I don't think there's been anyone out there who's, you'd say, oh, look, they're not putting a shift in. Some of them might not be good enough, um, and that you know that is what it is. But mo- uh, you know, a great deal of them are, are good enough and have proven at various stages in their careers that they they are good enough. You know, the job title is head coach. This more than most clubs is all about what you do with those players, how you organise them, which ones you pick, and how you set them up to you know to cause problems for for the opposition and to and to and to deal with the problems that the opposition cause you and there's been precious little evidence this season really that Cisco has been able to effectively sort of work out what needs to be done on a game by game basis let alone sort of any, having any sort of consistent coherent approach has also been you know you know as you say a couple of little moments here and there but really i think we've all felt we've all we've all been feeling it haven't we that it's just He's, you know, again, I, 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 you don't want to be too harsh on the bloke because no. clearly he's, you know, a nice bloke, which as we keep saying, we've got some affection for him and, and he got us up. But is he up to it? You know, is he going to go and walk into another job anywhere? And, you know, maybe he will. Good luck to him. I hope he does have a long, successful career. But, you know, as we'll get on to talk about potential replacements later, his CV doesn't compare even close to compare to somebody like Claudio Ranieri or or even Diego Martinez or some of the other people being linked with the job. He was a vastly inexperienced coach and manager. And as I sort of mentioned the other day, like, I almost feel sorry for him. He's been chucked in right at the deep end. And the the job that he did to get us up shouldn't be downplayed, shouldn't be undervalued. But it was a relatively sort of straightforward, simple task. It was, look, these players are good more than, you know, the, some of the very best in this division, but they're all down in the dumps. Come in, put a smile on people's faces, play it simple, get them in the right positions, and we should be more than good enough to get up. And that's what happened. We got up comfortably in the end. But it, all of a sudden, you're in the Premier League, you're going up against some of the best players and managers in the world, Marcelo Bielsa at the weekend. You know, and he's been overwhelmed, I think, tactically. And I think you've, there'd be moments where you look at him on the touchline and you think... You know, again, I just I sort of sympathise with him, but I think it's the job was too too much for him at this time, and it's I think it is the right it's the right to do as much as it much as it sort of pains me to say it. I wish him all the best, and again, we can talk about Gino's approach, in, you know, broader in a bit, but I think this is the right the right thing to do. 
Mike, for you though, you know the fact that you said maybe he should have changed, and we we've all sort of said, you know, I, you know, fans can sit there on Twitter and, and all these things and say, yeah, told you he was he wasn't going to be good enough for the Premier League. We didn't know. Now we sort of know, and it's a place where you can't grow. There's no space to grow in the Premier League and to figure it out. But are you putting as much on him, or actually, from what you've said already, because that change should have come, how much are you putting that on the the people above him and the hierarchy above him? Well, I agree entirely with with Dave. I think uh, it, it, blame is is the wrong word. He he yeah. just wasn't up to it. He wasn't able to to deliver. Quite frankly, the players didn't look like they knew what they were doing. We spoke about, for example, let's take William Trustikong. They know the opposition had target him when he's on the ball because they know his distribution is an issue. There's been precious little evidence that we've got anything like that sort of uh, approach with a game plan or a or a style of play or a willingness to impose ourselves on. On games, you know, we talk about the players we've got, and the question we've got is how do we get these good players, the better players, into the game so we can ask questions of the opposition? And we faced the majority of the games we've been in this season have been games that we would recognise as games that we could be competitive in, at least try and take something out of. And we've made the opposition look like prime Barcelona or, or Real Madrid. Oh, come on. And <laughs> so, so just we've, we've just a long way off it, a, a real long way off it. You know, we could have shipped four or five against Newcastle. I think Ben Foster decide, de- described the Leeds game as a 1-0 battering. And, you know, Leeds, Leeds aren't, they're not up to speed. They've got injuries. They hadn't won. They would have had a crowd on their back. They're nervous. And we weren't able to ask any sort of question. It was telling, wasn't it, Foster's reaction? Yeah. You know, yeah. he's an experienced yeah. player. And when he's coming yeah. out and saying things like that, you know there's problems. He, was yeah. lo- he, felt, lo- he felt lost. He like, you know, yeah. the, clearly the things were said. You know, the, yeah. you know, he sort of said, really, almost straight away after post-match, you know, it was like, let's get at them, let's get at them. But actually... They didn't, or they didn't know how they were going to do it as a, as a collective. And it's and almost lost... like the, the shoulders, you know, his shrunk shoulders really say yeah. so much about him and maybe the frustration that those players all have had. Lost is a great word, I think, because that's how they looked, really. The, the players have looked lost out there. There's no coherent approach to the game. There's no, there's no idea how they're going to win the football match. Uh, no idea how they're going to score, really. You have to attach the blame, if that's the word we, we're going to use, to, to Cisco for that. Not for the, the want of trying. As we said midweek, the players don't look like they're turning it in. Not, they're not, not performing for him. But I just don't think he's giving anything to, to go on. Now, the other part of the question, John, is probably potentially the more pertinent one. And that's, you know, how, how much a, a blame do we attach to, to the hierarchy? And you have to say, we have to be honest and say that, yeah, they have to take a huge amount of, of, of blame for, for what's happened. It hasn't worked out. And the reality is, if you're having to hire a manager every six, eight, 12 months, it's because you're sacking one. And if you're sacking one, it's gone wrong. So the more you're firing, the more the high, you're getting the hiring wrong. And it happens a lot. So I think they have to look inwards and say, we are not getting the recruitment right in terms of the, the head coach. There was a very telling tweet from Simon Burnton, a really good journalist, Watford supporter. And he said, the Watford hierarchy are very good at identifying uh, when it's time to, to get rid of a, a head coach. Uh, they're not very good at identifying the right head coach to come in um, or worse to, worse to that effect. And that's the bottom line, isn't it? If, if they get the head coach choice right, 
we're not having this conversation on this podcast and we're certainly not having it every eight, nine, 12 months. Yes, we do stick up for the, for the club because they're still in credit. We're in the Premier League. We're not in the bottom three. We have won games and other teams haven't. But we're, we're big enough and ugly enough to recognise that this happens too often for it not to be the result of mistakes. And we, it's our job as, as supporters, as passionate supporters, uh, critical friends, people who care about the football club, to call it as we see it. And that, that's the way it is. They have to accept they're getting it wrong too often in terms of the head coach, whether it's choosing the right time to dispense with, a, with the head coach, like, like Chisco getting rid of him in the, in the summer, for example. They did it with Slav and they brought Kike Sanchez-Flores in, who had a clear plan for what he wanted his Watford team to do, be tough to beat, don't concede goals and we'll worry about the rest later. And that was the clear plan. They stuck to it and it worked. A bit of luck and a fair wind, but perhaps you earn your luck. And it just feels like this time and almost ever decreasing amounts of planning, really. I mean, if you look at the, the carnage of uh, the season that we got relegated, yes, it was a, uh, a, a an unprecedented year for a whole host of reasons. But Kike coming back that year, for example, and then last year, Vladimir Ivic was, was evidently the, the completely wrong appointment because that, that didn't work either. Yeah, I think you make you hit the nail on the head when you say that it sort of increasingly appears to be a lack of planning because I think you could kind of, you know, you could live with it if, for example, we had a really clear identity, way of playing, and the players were recruited for that and the, and the head coaches were all recruited under a certain blueprint. You know, this coach likes to play, you know, they have to be a coach that likes to play a certain way. Yeah. But we, we get... It's all over the place. You know, one minute it's Vladimir Ivic. You know, one minute it's Javi Gracia. It's Kike Sanchez-Flores. You know, it's it's Cisco, who's completely unproven. It might be Ranieri. It might be Diego Martinez. Like, all of these managers are completely different. There's, there's just, there's, there doesn't seem to be any consistency and coherence in their approach. It's just, oh, who's around? Oh, he'll do. And that, that's the problem. I look at it and I see it as, since, I think ever since Marco Silva... Everything has been trying to, you know, smooth over the, 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 the cut or whatever it is. He's the last manager, I think, who came in and actually had a plan and got it going, but then very quickly started to ignore it. Every manager we've had since is very short term. And if you look at Cisco, he came in to do a job. He did that job. And their recruitment is right, but for a very, very short amount of time. And the consistency that everybody in the world thinks that Watford need is a consistent manager. But as you said, Dave, there needs to be some consistency. It doesn't have to be the manager, but it needs to be in a philosophy. It needs to be in a way that Watford are going to go about what we do. Therefore, pick a manager who can do that job with a slight difference for this time and a slight difference for that time. And then everybody else and all the players are going to be recruited for it. It's that, you know, the consistency that everyone thinks we need is, isn't what, the, what, what they all believe it is. I think you can still be short term and have a plan. It's because, yeah. you know, our, our plan this season is by hook or by crook, stay in the Premier League. That's a goal. That's not a plan. Yeah, but make your plan to deliver that. So I mentioned the, the dispensing with Slav and bringing Kike in. 
that was a plan and probably they probably recognized it was going to be a short-term plan as well i think it, it felt like you know there was a year there was a break in in kike's contract and and both chose to exercise it they went their separate ways so that was a a plan to deliver a relatively short-term goal but it doesn't even feel like there's that at the moment it just feels and it, it, it doesn't have to be a magnificent grand master plan um all mapped out for the next two three four five six ten years I don't, I don't think it even needs to be that. But what it does need to be is, right, this is the man that's going to do it. This is how he's going to do it. This is the reason, you know, we've got these tools at our disposal in, in terms of the players, and this is how he's going to do it. And, and I, I just do not believe that at the moment that there is that belief or that, 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 that they've planned it or that, they've, that they're confident in that, that they've married up a group of players with, with a man who can get the best out of them um, deliver the correct culture, deliver the correct level of, of discipline, deliver the correct amount of, of everything. I just think it feels, and of course it isn't. It's easy for us to sit here as, as supporters and say this. And, you know, these guys are working round the clock to, to, to try and do the best for Watford Football Club. Of course they are. But it, it just feels on the, on the hoof. It feels, and, and for me, for me, I think there is a, a repeating pattern now of the really big, strategic, almost um, legacy-defining decisions, get, getting them wrong. So, for example, I think after the FA Cup final, that was the opportunity to clear the decks. We had a swathe of players who wanted out, were probably at the peak of their value in terms of what we were going to get for them. So I'm talking about Capu, Delafeu, Decore. They would all have had their eyes on the next club. Perhaps rightly so, they delivered the FA Cup final, the potential for European football for Watford. They were ready to move on. And what we should have done at that stage is let them go and rebuild with a bid to, to try and push on. But they didn't. They decided to try and keep what was a, a squad that was turning stale and, and, to, and to try and muddle through with it. Well, they and... did, they did, and they didn't. I think they didn't at that moment, especially when we spoke to Scott. They realised that they should have done that yeah. at that time, and they held on to players for too long. And then they couldn't, they couldn't get rid of them in the way they wanted to, as swiftly as they wanted to, because they should have done it then. Well, they shouldn't, but they, but, they, but the pandemic happens, and all of a sudden, you know, the the the, the risks a, a few of clubs course. in Europe would have taken on Etching Capu took a lot longer to get sorted out and to come through. The thing that they did then last year was hampered by the fact that Ivic was hampered by having this mixture of what he was promised and what the aim was and what were the leftovers of that FA Cup win. But but let's take it back, John. Let's take it back. So they, did, they didn't do what they should have done after the, no. the Cup final. And then what did they do? They brought Kike back, which was yeah. a monumentally... Um, it was just an extraordinary decision. And it, we burned through another whole heap of games in a way that just wasn't going to it was never going to work i don't think anyone involved with that with that with the thing apart from perhaps gino and scott who could manage to convince himself it was a good idea somehow no one thought that was going to end well and lo and behold it, it ended worse than probably we could have possibly imagined and it's and it, and it is it's okay to look back with hindsight sometimes and say they got it wrong. And it's easy for us to say with hindsight that they got it wrong. But we're allowed to do that because we're supporters and we're calling it as we see it. My point is, these are big tentpole moments in the, in the, in the sort of current history of, of Watford. 
and when the chips are down and the, the choices are there to be made and potentially the tough decisions, because, for example, if they let those players go just after we've, we've been in the cup final, supporters, probably me included, would have probably accused them of lacking in ambition because they've yeah, let, oh, let our best players go. Definitely. So I, I do get how difficult it is. But there is now, now, so if you take that, the way Javi was dealt with, Kike coming back, the hiring of uh, Vladimir Ivic, keeping Cisco on over summer, perhaps even stuff like the treatment of, of Will Hughes. It just feels like these big, big strategic issues when the chips are down, when the future of the club is basically at stake, are, are, they, getting them, are they getting them spot on? I do agree. I do agree with you in the main. I think we have to be on. I think we have to sort of uh, be honest and hold our hands up and say we were all sitting around the table on this podcast in the summer after we got promoted, saying how pleased we were that Cisco was going to get the opportunity to do it again, and and, and we weren't going to sack him, and we 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 were optimistic about that, him. It's not our we job to know that though. It's no, it's not. It's not. But we can't sit here and say you know kind of you know I think we we can we're guilty of, we're we're in danger of slightly of sort of veering into the territory of saying, oh, we all thought it would be going to be a bad idea from the start, when when, when we didn't necessarily know that. Yeah, that's you know, fair. The, that is fair. As, as discussed, you know, it's gone the way that it's gone. But uh, another thing that I keep coming back to, and I think I said exactly the same thing when they when they sacked Ivic. Again, we just don't ever hear from Gino. Now, Scott, you know, does the odd bit. He obviously spoke to us in the summer and did the fans forum last year. And, you know... Not neither neither Gino Pozzo or Scott Duxbury were quoted in the statement today. No, the board wasn't no, it? Just the board. It's just at the board. You know, there was no one saying you know, we wish him well. There was no, there's no sort of admission of okay, we got this wrong. We're going to do what we can to get it right. We just never hear from Gino, and he is the bloke, as we heard from Filippo Giraldi when he spoke to Adam after he left the club. That is Gino's way or the highway. Even even Scott has to defer to to Gino at times. You 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 know from from what we sort of hear and kind of can pick up reading between the lines. This bloke makes the makes the big calls. He's at the training ground all the time. He's he's watching everything. He's at every match. He's not some sort of far away distant owner like bloody Stan Kroenke or the Glazers. He's got his hands over everything at his club, and we never hear a peep from him. That's his prerogative. He obviously feels like he doesn't need to. But I, as a fan, am disappointed in that. Front up, tell us what you were thinking, and now explain what you want to do going forward. What is your plan? What's the game? What are you in it for? Because not saying anything just leaves this vacuum that we have to fill with speculation like this. I just want to. I just want to hear from him. I want to hear what his voice sounds like. I want to know the, what the cut of his jib is. I just want to get a feel for the bloke. And I, I just it really frustrates me. Mike, you know, is you know, we are saying goodbye to Cisco, but we have to thank him in many ways for what he did, what he turned that season around last year, and what he achieved in terms of promotion. And also, it was brilliant uh, his message that he sent uh, via social medias to all the fans, wasn't it? It was, and I think Dave is right when you say that that last last season he ha- he should have got us up. Really, he really should have got us up. We had a, he had a really good squad, and it was underperforming. So it was a decent a decent job for a head coach to to walk into but that said I was lucky enough to be at the games last season and what he did was palpably transform that squad into a side that was all of a sudden enjoying its football again under Ivic the whole place was miserable the players were miserable the football was miserable the whole bang shoot was just an absolute pain in the backside and and Cisco was a was an absolute breath of fresh air 
the players looked happy, their shoulders were back, they looked a foot taller, and they played some scintillating football. They effectively, you know, they swept swept the championship aside, really, didn't they, in the end, bearing in mind where they were when when he came in. And we have we we must thank him for that and he's just he's made a lot of friends i think hasn't he he's obviously smiley and his whole demeanor is is very positive and friendly and that you know that goes a long way not far enough obviously it's not by no means a uh, something you should put on your cv as a footballer i smile a lot and quite nice um <laughs> it's not going to get you many jobs but the way he conducted himself was was fantastic and yeah he's posted on on social media a big thank you uh watford post which was very uh magnanimous and and heartfelt and it and it felt like you know you could hear cisco hear cisco's voice saying it and and you believe it and yeah, I thought do do have a look at that if you if you haven't seen it already. It's a, a lovely message from from Cisco, and I just do wonder whether that, in contrast, you know, one talking about what what Dave was just suggesting about not hearing from Gino, would it do any harm for a from a message from the top, um, from the from the owner's office or the, whatever you want to call it, just going on record to to say thanks for some of these guys who, perhaps the the, the tenure has ended earlier. Than we'd hope but it hasn't ended in, in bad blood but the other thing is really what is Gino going to say what's he going to say that makes that makes any difference it's as as Dave alluded to there I think it is his his way or the highway which as you'd expect from a from an owner it's a ruthless difficult cutthroat business they're involved in and you know I have I do have sympathy for him yeah but it was a, a lovely message from from Cisco really heartfelt um and just yeah his personality shone through in that and and we must oh yeah we did like you say john it's important we do thank him for putting smiles back on our faces during what was a tremendously difficult time for for everyone for a whole host of reasons it was you know unprecedented unpleasant um and like nothing we've really experienced before as football fans and he he delivered he delivered reasons to be cheerful which we we need to be thankful uh, and grateful for and not not revisionist sort of saying he's some absolute nightmare appointment uh, because as as dave said we were we were cockahoop we were you know sh- literally champagne glass time wasn't it um, uh, at the end of the season and that was that was down to him he was brought in to do a job and he did it he did it well this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So who is next to do the job? Uh, it is Sunday. It is uh, quarter past eight. Uh, and at this point, it, it certainly seems to be, David, that one Claudio Ranieri uh, is going to be the new Watford manager. He's probably the most high-profile manager we have had come into the club at least what is it why him why now do you think yeah he's definitely he'll definitely be the most high profile Viali uh, manager or head coach in recent in recent times he's done more than Viali's done he's absolutely he's you know he kind of 
he's he, you know he's had spells in his careers, particularly in England, where he's kind of been seen as a bit of a joke figure at times. And he, even when he won the league with Leicester, there was sort of a strange kind of a strange feeling to it, really, that it was this kind of strange sort of magical story that just kind of happened out of nowhere. Do you know what I mean? And I think sometimes he probably hasn't got the respect he de- he deserves as a coach because look at all the, look at his CV. It's incredible. He's managed, you know, a whole host of top clubs: Juventus, Inter Milan, Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, Leicester, Roma, Sampdoria. You name it. You know, this goes on and. You know he's sixty nine. He's getting old, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's you know he's not up to the job. It, you know he didn't do very well at all at Fulham when he was brought in there a couple of years back. I think he only won three of his games in charge, and then he was pretty swiftly removed, and Scott Parker replaced him. But you know he seems like he's done. He did reasonably well, I think, at Sampdoria. Sort of lifted them from the bottom of the league to kind of stable position in in sort of mid table. I think in the top ten in Serie A. By the time he left, and he decided, I think his contract ended, and they just sort of parted ways. I don't think it was a particularly harsh sacking, um, from what I can sort of gather. But it's a it's a really intriguing appointment because it doesn't fit the model of the recent templates of these kind of guys who've come from sort of who's starting out maybe you've had a little bit of succession in a sort of lower league abroad this guy is from the top table and he will have expectations he will you know he's seen it all he's seen it all he's dealt with some of the biggest players and presidents in world football that you could ever wish so uh, so he'll be a match for you'd like to think he'd be a match for Gino he'd be you know he's going to command the respect of the players no doubt about it the blokes won the premier league you know so it is intriguing. I'm just reading a few bits. It seems like he's wants to, you know, he's been playing quite an aggressive sort of high pressing system in Italy recently, and you know that might suit some of our players. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of team, if he, you know, if and when he turns up, what kind of team he picks, what we what we go on to do. It almost feels like completely out of left field again, really, doesn't it? I know there's the links or the Italian link, but I was very surprised when I heard his name linked this morning. Usually, when when anyone asks us, "Oh, who do you think is going to be the next Watford head coach?" Yeah, not a and clue. we say, "Well, we've, <laughs> yeah, we've given up guessing because nine ninety nine times out of hundred, hundred, it's going to be someone that we've never heard of." And now, when it is someone we've heard, we we heard of, we're we're sort of like, "Oh, crikey, that doesn't feel right." I think Dave, you hit the nail on the head with his his experience and the respect that he's going to command from from the players. We you know we've talked about how the the undoing of Cisco was really his lack of experience and his lack of ability to know his way around the Premier League, how to deal with with more adept players and adept head coaches in the in the opposite dugout. Well, that isn't uh, an accusation you could level at Claudio Ranieri, is it? He's he like you say, Dave. He's been there and done it. He's 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 faced adversity. He's had success. Um, he's he's been in Europe. Um, and, and and everything that comes with that certainly in Italy we know how, how volatile it is with the with the owners and and so on over there so I, I think what's important at this stage of the season for Watford having burned through a lot of games where we we needed to pick up more points than we have is we need to stabilize very very quickly and then we need to fill the gap that hasn't been filled so far this season which is getting us playing a style of play that is going to ask questions of the opposition more often than not. Um, and, but and, just and to be that... clear, he's not being hired to win the Premier League, even though he has won the Premier League. His job well, is just to keep us in the league 
for now. He did follow Nigel Pearson at Leicester, and all, yes, there's been a couple in between <laughs> Nigel Pearson here at Watford. So I'm not saying um, uh, I'm not saying um, I'm getting overexcited, but I hope the Premier League have got yellow, black, and red ribbons ready for that trophy. <laughs> come on, Claudio, come on, Watford. But look, it's. We we need someone who is going to who is going to get the best out of these players. They have assembled. It's very easy at times like this to sort of just throw your hands up in the air, shake your head in a bit of disbelief, and say, "Well, this whole thing is an absolute cluster," um, and throw the baby out with the bathwater. When the reality is, you're you're right to a degree, John. To, to when you look back at Newcastle games, as they were, there were little bits that were good. I don't agree that there were little bits of good in terms of our play. What what is good is the players. And if yeah. you throw 11 good players onto a football pitch, I could be manager and they'll do something good. But, but the reality is we have got decent players. You know, there, there's, um, I was following on some of the, the reports yesterday from Ellen Road. I was working at Wickham, uh, who won 4-3, came back from the dead to win 4-3. Gareth Ainsworth, perhaps, if anyone? Only joking. Um, well, I don't know if you're listening, Gareth. I'm going to throw your hat in the ring. Um <laughs> And you know, the BBC reports were saying, look, Watford have got looked like a real threat at times up, up front. They've got real pace to burn, and if they can get in behind this this high this high defensive line from from Leeds, they could cause problems. Of course, they weren't able to, which is why we're having this conversation now. But it's not as if we've got this a sort of bunch of abject players who who can't can't do anything. So I think it's important to recognise that there is a squad there that can be melded into something certainly competitive in terms of staying up um there's there is a defensive concern i think that we're still yet to keep a clean sheet we're still yet to look like keeping a clean sheet in the premier league the only time we haven't let one in this season was against palace wasn't it and that game was pretty much played played at walking pace in the in the league cup so that is something he's going to have to address immediately um but you'd have thought if it is claudio ranieri coming in whoever the head coach coming in they will be looking at that goals against column and thinking, right, number one on the agenda, sort out this leaky back line. If it is Ranieri, which, which all signs point to, to, towards it, experience and respect. And at this stage of the season, we find ourselves in a very, very difficult situation uh, with some very, very difficult games coming up. I think we play the top four or five, don't we, in the next eight, eight games and, and then Arsenal on, on top of that. So he's been there and done it. He's upset the odds before with, with Leicester. Uh, he does have tools at his disposal in terms of a decent side. You know, we've, we've wrung our hands in disbelief at how we haven't been able to get those. Uh, Ismail Assar, for example, into the game. We haven't been able to crack that code, how we get our best player playing. That's what he's going to have to do. My concern, Mike, is that we're probably more like Fulham, aren't we, now as a club than, than, than Leicester, if you compare the two, his two most recent English, English jobs. He came into a settled sort of upwardly mobile team at Leicester who were on a roll with Nigel Pearson. He replaced him in the summer. I read a, read a book by Jonathan Northcroft of the Times who did, you know, chronicled the season. And it was a masterful job that he did there. But he kind of just, it's kind of similar to kind of Cisco in a way, you know, sort of just kind of Rode the waves. got everyone happy and kind of kept it ticking over. He kept a lot of the backroom staff and he kind of made a few little adjustments, a few little tactical shifts and stuff. But he kind of, yeah, as you say, just rode that wave and it just built and built and built and built. We went to, when he went to Fulham again, maybe, you know, in, in future weeks we can talk to Peter Rutzler, the, you know, the, the Athletics Fulham correspondent. We can find out some of the detail about why maybe that went wrong. But he picked up a bit of a, you know, a bit of a basket case of a team and he wasn't able to get a tune out of them and he was gone pretty quickly. And 
as I say, it feels like we are more towards the Fulham side of that equation than, than Leicester. So it's it's a tough job for him. He's got to come in and pick them up quickly. And as you say, baptism of fire for him in terms of the fixtures coming up. Um, he hasn't, you know, we can't afford to burn all of those games. We can't just throw those games away. I know they're against the best teams in the league, but in the last, you know, the five seasons that we managed to stay up with in the Premier League before, we always picked up points against some of those teams every season. So we've got to try and do that again. Thank you very much uh, for listening to this, uh, the weekly from the Rookery End, where we talk and react to the game. There's a bit more to react to this week, of course. We're reacting to the loss and the sacking of Cisco Munoz. Uh, thank you very much, David. Thank you. And thank you, Michael. No problem. Try and keep smiling, everyone, would be my, my advice at this, at this stage. It, supporting football is, is fun, and it needs to be fun, and we need, and we need to remember that. And um, best of luck to Cisco, I think. He, he probably goes with, it, with everyone's, everyone's best wishes. Let's keep, just keep our fingers crossed. Get behind the team. I think we've, we're back at Vickery Road in a couple of weeks, aren't we? We've got, our, we've got to put our part to play as supporters in terms of making Vickery Road noisy and difficult for the opposition to come to. Uh, let's let the players know we're behind them. Let's let the new head coach know we're behind them. And stick with it. Keep smiling. Come on, you Goldens. We'll be back with another podcast later in the week uh, where Adam has got a very special interview with a very special person. So more from the Rookery End. But do have a great two weeks off Watford and just try and relax, everybody. But in two weeks' time, get ready to give a good old shout of Come on, you oil! The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.